a doctor who has helped revolutionize cancer care in India, will talk to us about the pursuit of excellence on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Fundwise Capital. Fundwise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals and connect with Fundwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. Uh, crazy week so far. Yesterday had we're supposed to have three shows. To add two very very interesting shows. One about the Kennedy family uh, and their legacy, and the other about comedy magic. And today we are switching gears completely. I'm going to talk to a doctor who has written a memoir about the pursuit of excellence. Now I am way a uh, fish out way out of water here. Uh, it's way over my head with this conversation. First of all doctor we're going to talk to today is an oncologist who has uh, caused a paradigm shift in the way cancer is treated in India. Now, as if that's not enough, he's also an entrepreneur and a philanthropist and uh, has written a memoir about the pursuit of excellence. And me, I think you you know me. I'm a, a minimalist kind of guy. I'm I'm getting through life on doing <laughs> the minimum. So but the pursuit of excellence and uh, talking to a guy with his kind of credentials is uh, way up here for me, over my head. But we're going to do the best we can. Uh, Dr. Ajay Kumar, B.S. Ajay Kumar, has uh, been awarded the prestigious E&Y Startup Entrepreneur of the Year Award, as well as case studies in HCG. Uh, and Dr. Ajay Kumar has given several talks at Harvard Business School and Babson Business School. Uh, being a social entrepreneur and philanthropist, he has incepted several NGOs, engaged in phenomenal development work in the Gunda. I'm sorry about this, folks. Uh, I've never been uh, to, to these places. Gundlepe District in Karnataka. <laughs> Maybe you can help me with the excellence in pronouncing, uh, pronouncing some of these names. His organizations have, to, uh, to date, provided financial aid for needy cancer patients, empowered 20,000 women through microfinance, sponsored the education of 550 children, besides striving to eliminate prevalent uh, social ills. Dr. Ajukumar is also an avid marathon runner and a voracious reader. His book is called Excellence Has No Borders. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Dr. B.S. Ajukumar. Dr. Ajukumar, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. Now, uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, why you, like, to most people, I think uh, changing the way cancer is treated would be enough for a lifetime resume. <laughs> why, why are, what drives you uh, to, to this pursuit of excellence? No, one of the things uh, is, you know, when I started uh, my career after my med school, I immigrated to U.S. in 1975, and I was very fortunate. I was interested in cancer care because uh, why, why is cancer untreatable? What is the challenge here? You know, people always talked about heart. We know heart is a pump, 
and you know people place lot of important cardiac cardiac surgeon cardiology but cancer at that time you know we are talking about in 75 1975 was everybody used to be terminal or no hope people used to call cancer victims i always you know kind of fought for what i call as underdog i was very interested when i did my internship in charlottesville virginia seeing patients with lot of pain and no treatment and you know it was it was kind of really something which really on introspection uh, you know gave me a feeling i should challenge cancer that is when i went to md anderson i was fortunate to get into md anderson in 1976 so i did a, it was a kind of a game changer for me because i kind of got exposed to not only lots of cancer patients from all over the world but also patients coming with very advanced disease as a last hope you know uh, and you know people would say do anything you know i can, my body can be an, an experiment trial the new drugs very early drugs drugs called what we call as phase 1 drugs so once i learned all that and i was uh, you know tempted to stay in md anderson but i always had the feeling you know i have to do someday something in india that is where i trained i was born so i started a practice outside of chicago to learn the ropes of cancer so that you know uh, and i really did very good people came from 100 mile radius very soon i became well known uh, and i had to bring in partners but i decided i'll take some time off and study the cancer situation in india in mid 80s uh, there was a big gap wide gap between what was done in united states and in india because the technology we lacked in india you know we were using very what we call as cobalt therapy whereas in us most of it was linear accelerator i felt cancer is cancer rich or poor it doesn't know there is only one way to know cancer treat it the right way so i started putting some things together to see how i can start cancer center and of course you know i did not want to take any government help lot of restrictions i said i'll be a true entrepreneur <laughs> you know start everything from scratch see how it goes so in 1990 i started a private first private cancer center with few doctors while i was still in us but in two and it did good and in 2003 i decided somehow convinced my family all my children were born in united states they were no but convinced them that i want to move to india to really take on this journey of a uh, of a doctor and an entrepreneur so that is uh, that is and I, and i thought it is a challenge how do you bridge the gap across india you know india is a big and how do you make cancer accessible and affordable because majority of the people at that time did not have any insurance it was cash paying so uh, when i look at most of them coming in advanced stage so i, I love challenges so yeah obviously you no know, i said and, <laughs> and you know yeah. there were a lot of naysayers honestly there are a lot of people you know you must be crazy they thought but uh, i put together a team of doctors and today i'm very happy to say that uh, we have on 25 comprehensive cancer centers and we see 110000 new cancer patients and it has been a game changer across india tier 1 tier 2 and uh, you know serving near almost 40% of the population have an access to our cancer center so that is uh, that has been a, you know great journey and also learned a lot from cancer patients both in united states and in india uh, i feel even though 45 years of because every day you learn you know and you can never because so many changes have happened so this has been my journey and you know that, that is how i have taken up this challenge wow uh you know, are we still here do i have you i kind of lo- just lowered the bandwidth cuz it seems like we're having a little bit of lag uh so the the i guess the question i want to ask before we go any further how is the infrastructure over there in india as far as uh because for years it wasn't good i had a uh, a partner company over there 10 years ago and uh doing stuff on the internet was really difficult are we okay over there as far as infrastructure and connectivity now yeah it's very good you know i live in bangalore 
uh, Bangalore is one of the, you know, like a Silicon Valley of India. It is a high-tech yeah. city, a big population, 12 million, but, um, you know, very highly developed. So we don't have any problem in infrastructure in big urban India. But of course, okay. you go to rural India, that becomes a different issue. Uh, I was just getting a little bit of lag on the first answer, so I... I... Bump down the bandwidth on this uh, transmission for just a little bit, and hopefully it'll be better. But i uh, just kind of curious about that, how, how it improved. Now, cancer is something, of course, everybody uh, is touched by and everybody is interested. Uh, I, I want to uh, talk about that, but I just have to make one comment here. Seven, 1975, you had already graduated med school. 1975, I was in high school. And I, I'm pretty old. I'm an old man. And you look really, you, you look younger than me. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm wondering, uh, uh, I guess the marathon running keeps you young and keeps you looking in shape because you, you're obviously, you graduated uh, med school by 75. You're obviously older than me. You look great. So I just put yeah, that Yeah, I, uh, I am 70 years old. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> you look amazing. And you're still running marathons? Yeah, I run uh, like half marathons. But wow. I did uh, seven Chicago marathons wow. between 1990 and uh, 1999. I did seven Chicago. Wow. It was a wonderful experience. So I continue to run and uh, now I can do half marathons, but I do a weekly run, <laughs> which is um, very good for me. I love running. Right. Well, God bless you. You look great. Uh, now, uh, on cancer, I, again, everybody, uh, just about everybody walking the planet has been touched by it in some way, whether it's uh, directly or a family member. The question, and people are frustrated, it, the question we all always get is, why is there no cure for cancer? Uh, why, you know, we've been addressing these problems of cancer uh, for over a hundred years now, why are we? Why can we cure other diseases in twenty years or ten years, and cancer it just seems to be unbeatable? I'll give you what my perspective, and I'm not a doctor. Obviously, I've worked in pathology a little bit and hung out with a lot of really smart doctors. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, what what I gained from that experience was this perception that cancer is not just one thing, and that's this is part of the problem. Cancer is a uh, a a word we use to define any time the body kind of attacks itself, a growth that is uh, out of control and not part of the body plan. And so it can be used to describe so many different uh, conditions that we can't just look for one cure. Am I on the right uh, path with that, with that answer? See, uh, cancer is defined as interference in the death of a normal cell. When a normal cell doesn't die, normally you're supposed the cell dies and a new cell comes. When the cell doesn't die, it keeps on multiplying. It becomes rogue cells and they multiply and multiply with no function. Right. So that then they start metastasizing, going elsewhere, occupying the space. So that is the problem with cancer. Uh, that, is, uh, that is how we know we kind of uh, face this problem. Why does the why does the death doesn't occur? So now, of course, as you may know, uh, even though there is no, we can say early stage of cancer we can cure, but today remarkable advances have happened in cancer management. For example, if you take diabetes, we don't cure diabetes, you don't cure asthma, you don't cure blood pressure. We manage. We don't cure kidney failure. We manage. But when you look at the history of cancer, because we did not understand cancer, and we started talking in the lingo of either you have cured or you die. So the concept of living with cancer was not there for a long time. So we always heard horror stories of people dying of pain, suffering with cancer. So we even went to the extent of associating cancer with other ills of the society. Suppose there is corruption, nepotism, we call it cancer of the society. Now, so cancer got a really bad name. You know, the connotation became that anything cancer is bad right. because we didn't understand cancer. But today, we know we are beginning to understand cancer. We know cancer is a disease, like you said, it is multiple conditions, but 
if properly understood, we are talking about genomics, molecular diagnostics, you know, high-end imaging, people with cancer are living long years now. You know, you take, for example, lung cancer, one of the most dreaded cancer when I was, uh, you know, young and started practice. People never, rarely lived beyond nine months or, or 10 or 12 months. Today, we have people with lung cancer, even with advanced stages, living for years because we have made progress in uh, genomics, what we call as targeted treatments. And we, we don't even use that much chemotherapy anymore. So it is a paradigm shift in how we manage and the concept of immunotherapy. So cancer treatment, you know, I would say we may not cure, but it has become a lifestyle disease. We know that. And we today we can boldly say we have really advanced in management of cancer in the last, I would say, decade or so. Remarkable changes have happened. Yeah. So people are now living longer with good quality of life. Yeah, well, I, I would uh, offer my anecdotal um evidence towards what you just said first of all i've had a lot of people in my life who've got cancer i have a brother who's had cancer for 20 24 years 25 years now been dealing with one form of cancer in his body or the other and living and working and he looks better than me he looks younger than me he's old he's old <laughs> he's your age and he looks younger than me he's better, more fit than me and people say he's in great his doctor told him he was in great shape just last week like you've got cancer you <laughs> mean great shape uh uh my mother lived a long time with it but i had a friend who got lung cancer in march of this year and was dead by may uh, so, uh, and I'm seeing more and more people who get are getting diagnosed, like they're getting diagnosed with stage four cancer, like you used to be diagnosed with stage one, and then you could at least have some time Correct. to deal with it. Uh, you can walk around because it would seem to me that the symptoms uh, by the time you got stage four, you'd have some pretty strong symptoms. Like how are these people walking around and just discovering it now? Can you, can you, uh, kind of enlighten <clears throat> me on how that that's yeah, possible. you know, it is all, what do you call stage four is the dilemma. For example, when a patient has, let us say, a breast cancer or a colon cancer, a breast cancer going to a bone, a colon cancer going to one lesion in the liver is called stage four. Are the same cancer going into full of lung, brain, liver, everywhere is also called a stage four. Right. So there are varieties of stage four. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so a patient with one lesion in the bone with breast cancer can live for 10 years if properly managed or longer. Whereas a patient with liver, lung, everywhere, full brain may not live for a year. So it is really how you define stage four. So today that, that is a reason in our system, you know, we try to avoid stage four calling it. We say, because we have molecular imaging, what we call as PET scan, positron emission tomography, we can actually pinpoint where the cancer cells are in the body. So we can say, okay, your cancer from breast or colon has spread to liver, lung, brain. So instead of calling it stage, we now specify where it is. And how are we, what is our goal? For example, somebody has gone to liver and maybe bone, which is the disease which is going to cause problem for the patient? More liver than the bone. So we try to attack the liver more than the bone. Okay, maybe regional therapy and all. And brain, brain of course is very important. So we kind of take care of brain. And we used to treat the whole brain. Now we don't treat whole brain, only specific because cognitive quality is important. So all of this has really produced <clears throat> Uh, with much better quality of care. You know, in the past, you might have heard, we used to call hospice care, terminal care, right. palliative care. We don't use that uh, language anymore, very rarely. You know, we call it definitive care. We call it, let us manage your pain symptoms. How do we do? For example, if there is a lesion in the bone, nerve pressing on the, uh, on the bone and causing cancer, a tumor pressing on the, on the nerve, we can go and do what we call as radio surgery to that. Just use radio surgery to that spot and get rid of the pain. Because we know from PET scan and all where the pain is coming from. 
So the whole concept of how we manage cancer has significantly changed, is altered. And of course, we are learning more and more by some standards, every three months cancer treatment is changing. Every three months. Yeah. So it's an amazing uh, journey. That's pretty amazing, yeah. Uh, the question that, that I have though, and I guess uh, what I'm wondering about is people who uh, have the cancer that ends up in, in a very quick death from the time they they are diagnosed and told about it. Uh, are they walk? They're obviously walking around very sick and not not showing the the physical symptoms of it. I mean, because that's confusing to me when I see somebody who seems no, healthy uh, living their life and then three months later they're dead. No, let me let me explain that. See, for example, liver. You take liver or brain. Liver is a large organ. You know, like today I saw about five patients where the liver is involved, but they don't have any symptoms because you need only 25% of the liver to function in order to be okay. All okay. right? Yeah. So when the liver, when these lesions start doubling and you start obstruction, that is when you become symptomatic. So the doubling effect can take place in, in a month or less, even less. So each lesion, when they double, obviously liver can become, I call it the lily effect. So one day there is nothing, the next day the whole liver could full because every lesion has doubled. Right. So that is when people, because I see a lot of patients like that. I was doing great doctor, I was walking around, working, going to the movies, and now I am here. Suddenly I've been found, I got a lot of disease elsewhere because all I had was a pain in the abdomen. So this is the reason because, uh, you know, whether it is brain or liver or even lung, these small lesions are asymptomatic. They don't produce any symptoms, but they keep on doubling. When they cause a block, obstruction, or infiltrate into the nerve, then the patient becomes symptomatic. Understood. Okay? Perfect. Yeah, thank you for that. That clears it up a lot. So along those lines, uh, if a person was a heavy smoker their whole life, right, and they developed this really bad cough, uh, but they, again, like the lungs, you don't really need both lungs to be functioning all the time mm -hmm. to be living. So they could have that cancer and that heavy smoker's cough is con convincing them that life is just normal. This is just how it's been for the last correct, 20 years correct. when re really they are experiencing less and less no, use of their you, lungs. What you say is uh, very important for lung cancer because until recently, almost 75 to 80% of the lung cancer patients come in advanced case. You cannot operate. Right. Because of this reason you said, they keep on going, some cough, no symptoms. By the time they start spitting blood or they end up with pneumonia, then you know it's it may be advanced stage. So right. that is the problem. Yeah. Um, same, thing with the, same thing with, the, you know, colon cancer. If you have a cancer on the right side, what we call a cecum, it's a dead end. People may not have any symptom because it is like a small dead end area where there is no function. A growth can keep on happening. On the other hand, if it is on the left side, which is where you are, you know, bowel movement happens, you know, there, any small area, you will start bleeding. You will know symptoms very quickly. Right. So it all depends, like pancreatic cancer, for example, you know, it can be there for a long time without any symptoms because it is such a abdomen is such a big organ right. unless it infiltrates into the nerves in the back part. So there are so many, you know, it is not easy. Cancer is a, it's a, it's a phenomenal disease. Yeah. You know, it is an enigma, what we call it, you know. Has it always been with us? Because we didn't, you know, if you look through the history books, you don't hear about people dying of cancer. It seems like people started dying. And I know it's, it can't be true. We've always probably always had cancer. It just wasn't recognized as such, diagnosed as such. And so it seems like a, a modern disease, but it's always been. No, it is. It is because, you know, you look at the median survival age. See, cancer is also an aging process. You know, years ago, people didn't live beyond 40 years, 45 years, because they died of a lot of communicable diseases, other diseases. But today we are living, you know, today a child born today, they expect them to live to 90 years. Yeah. So naturally, they are going to possibly very high chance of developing cancer in the lifetime. 
So it is an aging process. Of course, environmental issues, you know, herbicides, pesticides, you know, there are so many, uh, the what we call it, the ecosystem, which can contribute. The theory of epigenetics, for example, in, in your reproductive age, if a, if a mother is smoking and the reproductive age and then they have a child, the child may have cancer, not the mother, because the, child, the, the genetics of the child would have undergone mutation. Interesting. Yeah. So wow. it is, you know, it is very complex, but, uh, but very challenging. You know, wow. for me, the greatest interest in cancer treatment today for me is the genomics. Because, you know, if you look at genomics, mutation, day in and out, now I spend on that. Understanding not only the genomics of cancer, but genomics in different races, Caucasian, Indian, you know, Oriental, they're all maybe different. We are finding that out. And so this is another enigma of cancer. Oh, that's a whole uh, uh, can of worms that I don't even want to want to touch today. <laughs> uh, but here's how we can tie this into your book about excellence. And the book is called Excellence Has No Borders. And I can't read the tagline down there. <laughs> it's too small. <laughs> but um, uh, the idea of beating cancer now, I'm told anyway, and I'll get your perspective on this, is probably the same as being a successful entrepreneur. Belief system, mindset, uh, your... Uh, your strength of character probably has a lot to do with your survival as well as it would ha have to do with, with your success. Talk to me about um, the mindset of uh, all of it, whether we're talking about success as an entrepreneur or uh, the, the success of a cancer patient uh, trying to battle with that, the, the importance of optimism, <laughs> mindset, belief, that things are going to work out towards uh, you, you know your goals. No, you're absolutely right. For for example, in all my patients or in my own journey, one of the things I found is I always feel the glass is half full for me. You know because that kind of positive approach is the key for any success, whether you are an entrepreneur. Because I always feel <clears throat> it is if you're negative. You know, for example, if you say no to something, the door is closed. No, I can't do it. Done. It's done. But when you say yes, the doors open. Your work starts, you know. So I am a yes, yes person. And I always also yes and why. Why is it like this? Why is this cancer? So these two terminologies have been very good for me. You know, always saying, yes, I will take up the challenge. But you now always a cancer patient also, when I, when I counsel them, when I talk to them, I say, look, all my practice, positive patients always do good, you know, and compared to people who are negative. And, you know, uh, in my book also, I've written my very first patient when I started practice uh, outside of Chicago. Uh, and uh, she was waiting for me. This was, you know, like June 15th, 1979. I remember the day. She was on one of those uh, West Side wards. And she said, I was waiting for you. You come from MD Anderson. And he said, I've been told I'm terminal. I said, no, let us start the treatment and see how we can get an upper hand. She looked at me, she looked at me, eyes wide. And you mean to say I can do whatever I want with the next? I said, yes. What would you like to do? She was from originally Ireland, her family. She said, I want to go to Ireland and see my, my families and cousins and all. Then you won't believe for the next eight years, she went cross-country skiing, visited Ireland, traveled around. We accommodated everything. And finally, in 1987 or 88, you know, she got a disease in the lung. It came back, you know. It was, and she was coughing. And I, I kind of uh, was uh, traveling. I went back. I heard she was not well. And I, I, on a Sunday, I visited her at home. I said, you know, uh, she said, doctor, I just wanted to tell me. Of course, she thought I could walk on water. You know, that is how she thought. And she <laughs> said, I was waiting to tell you I have achieved everything in life what I wanted to do. I said, no, let us try some experimental treatment. She said, nothing. I'm done. And that very night, she died. Wow. You know. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, yeah. 
part of that, you know, and I, I think back to Warren Zevon, who, who when he was diagnosed with cancer and told he had six months to live, uh, decided he was going to live that that uh, six months to the fullest. And he had a lot to do that he wanted to get accomplished in that time. But part of the challenge there is the disease itself can make it physically debilitating to, so that you can't do the things you want to do. So I understand that mindset of, uh, okay, uh, sometimes it can be a blessing to say, you know what, your time is limited because it kicks you in the ass and lights a fire under your ass and say, I better get doing the, better get started doing the things I really was meant to do with this life. But at that point, your body is unable to do it. So that's a, that's part of the challenge. See, it all depends on where the cancer is. See, if the cancer is in the liver, if it is contained in the liver, then it's not going to cause any problem. Similarly, it may one side of the brain, it may not. But if the cancer is extensive in the bone, it may cause problem. Wow. But one side of the lung, it may not. So you have to really look at, rather than the stage, where is the cancer? What is the likely problem it can cause? and how I can be proactive and control that. See, in life, you know, one of the things in life is we are, we are very reactive in life. If you anticipate and be proactive, I think you can solve a lot of issues. And that again comes with attitude. You know, if you always think, oh, poor me, why happened to me? What is this? Then, you know, you can never win the battle. But if you say, okay, I will take it up as a challenge and I will challenge cancer or anything in life, challenge a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, situations come in our life with personal issues like you know my own son i know i wrote in the book has a very deadly uh, disease where rarely people live beyond 16 it's called duchenne muscular dystrophy there is no treatment even today uh, when he was a genetic disease when he was diagnosed he was in, born in us i went to a lot of universities and i was told he won't live beyond 16 so i did I expect I, I accepted 16, but went through a lot of, took him to different places, started on the various treatment. Today he's 32, uh, his master's in psychology doing very well. The only thing is he's in a wheelchair, he can't walk. But you know, it all depends on how you set your standards. What is your goal, expectation? Yeah, no. That, I, that is the important thing in life, and I, acceptance. I understand. Good, good inspirational story, and God bless him. Uh, but your optimistic attitude. Now, it, it's easy, I think, and I'm wondering if, if this is something you were born with, if it's something culturally that uh, you were that was instilled in you. But a lot of people can make their best effort to try to adopt a optimist, optimistic attitude towards stuff. But the minute they get a setback it kind of erases everything and the negative thoughts. So how do you manage your, your mindset, your attitude, your perspective on that kind of stuff without letting the, because I got to think, imagine in your profession, you see a lot of setbacks and a lot of reasons yeah. that you could, if you were so inclined, say, Oh, that, that didn't work out terrible and just kind of beat yourself up over it or just kind of get down on, on the world, how do you manage that optimism to keep it? See, one strong? of the <clears throat> one of the strengths I have developed over the years is introspection, and how do you deal with issues? You know, for example, if somebody you know starts opens the door and and says, Ajay Kumar, you are a thug, you are a idiot, they start abusing. I always feel the best reply is I refuse to accept your gifts if it is not true, you know? Uh -huh. So, you know, if you develop such attitude and somebody, let us say, is, uh, is, uh, is uh, envious of you, is jealous of you, and somebody reacts, why should I worry? It is their problem. You know, if somebody comes and says something to you uh, uh, which is not good, it is their problem. You should not react. And I think this kind of uh, a, a mature approach, in a way, gives you that confidence in you. And for me, one of the most important things has been uh, being in U.S., training in MD Anderson, and seeing the patients, hearing their stories, have given me such confidence. You know, you can put me anywhere in the world, I feel I'll survive and come. You know, yeah. like I used to be a tennis doubles champ in the town where I was in outside Chicago, myself and my friend Ray. 
I used to be down five sets, lose forty, you know, lose forty. But I still used to think I can win. <laughs> Fight each ball, <laughs> never give up. You know. Do you think? Do you think that's something you were born with, or uh, was is it part of you know your upbringing? I mean, because that's the difference that sets people apart is that whole mindset. And I'm just wondering why it's so easy for you and so difficult for somebody like me to even maintain that. Yeah. I think you know a part of it was born, yes. Part of it is reflection, but lot of it has to do with the the cancer patients, dealing with them. I call it onco philosophy. i call it onco philosophy because when you when you talk to a cancer patient when you understand them their smile on their face even though they know they may live only days how they smile and yeah. talk to you make jokes it is remarkable you know and yeah, we, yeah. we make complaints for small things when you look at this and the, you know i had a patient hold my hand she had a blood pressure 60 by 0 she's holding my hand uh, and consoling me i was crying i used to cry those days when patients you know when i'm losing i was <laughs> crying and she said dr aj you are giving me seven years of good life please don't and she was about to die <laughs> if i don't learn from that i'm i'm a, i'm a stupid guy you know <laughs> so these um, are all the reflections i learned from i get it a lot of experience plays into that and i, and I appreciate that uh yeah, my father was cracking jokes right up to the moment of his death he yeah. was, and so i understand but that you and know, I, people crack jokes people do but it is the introspection like i always tell my uh, children even at work i mentor you see and you see there's a difference between the two right you see and you see you know i get it um you we talked about uh a little bit about being proactive now part of being proactive is and this is this is the thing that confuses the hell out of everybody we talked about the proper diet that or cancer preventative diets and what to eat and what causes cancer and what doesn't cause cancer now you kind of mentioned the differences in racial uh makeups of people and that's true uh, but cultural differences around the world and So when we're giving all this information about what's good to eat, what's not good to eat, what causes cancer, what doesn't cause cancer, in different cultures in the world, we see different different diets, different uses of different chemicals and all that kind of stuff. Do we see cancer rates dropping in different cultures and is there actual evidence that proves that this lifestyle will lead to less cancer? versus the oh, let's say the United States urban <laughs> lifestyle or whatever? no one of the things we have to think is for example take breast cancer see i have done a study in rural india and urban india and of course uh, urban in united states the breast cancer in rural india is far less you don't see that much whereas you come to cities uh, it is almost equal to united states in wow. cities why is it and we see in, because i think it is definitely in my view is diet related lifestyle disease obesity is the number one cause of cancer today number one not smoking obesity recently at the at an international conference actually it was in chicago american oncology uh, conference few years ago they made that a big issue obesity is the number one cause of cancer okay so why is it because of possibly about the way high fat diet and how it changes inflammation so there are a lot of theories behind it but we know for a fact obesity now there was a trial where they took a cancer patient breast cancer where they uh, uh, after treatment they put the patient that certain number of patients on low fat diet and exercise and certain number of patients on no exercise normal life they did a normal life like before they found that patients who went on low fat diet and exercise did far better than those who were leading a normal life so clearly there is a correlation between long term you know this all long term long term diet cancer cancer coming back but we have not actually gone to the depth the root cause at we are in the process uh, i think in the next decade or so 
we will make definite improvement where at least the urban people will start seeing decrease in breast cancer already it has started in certain parts of united states the breast cancer is coming down so if this trend continues it is very healthy and good hmm there's a lot of talk about because i live in a hot spot of breast cancer i don't know why but uh there's a lot of speculation uh that uh a lot of the breast cancer in my area is caused by things like uh, power power lines uh five cell towers yeah. and that kind of stuff uh is there any um evidence behind that or is that just speculation no there is evidence because uh when you look at certain plants, and I had this study done on two things. I don't know whether you remember Vietnam era, they used to spray this Agent Orange right. dioxin. I did a study, actually, it came in the local papers, a big thing, where I showed people who were exposed to this dioxin had a higher incidence of cancer, Vietnam veterans who came back. Second thing is there was a big plant in a small town 20 miles away where I was practicing, in one street, we used to see all cancer patients coming. So I did an investigation. I found out they had dumped some chemicals there years ago, decades ago, in that area. You know, one of the factories which closed. So there are some anecdotal cases like this, uh, but dioxin has been proved. In fact, because of dioxin, they, the, the veterans got reimbursement. You know, the government paid them compensation. So there is definitely, you know, you have to realize any kind of irritation can cause cancer. So if you if you eat something, if you drink, you smoke, uh, whatever it is, if it is not normal, it causes and causes irritation constantly, it can lead to cancer. So I think this is uh, some kind of genetic change happens, but unfortunately it is not like, you know, an infection. It, it because it takes decades for it to come. It is not overnight. The body, you know, the body to undergo that change, and the body also resists. The body also resists. And cancer itself, I will tell you one remarkable story. I had a uh, patient uh, from a farm town uh, uh, when I was practicing in US. He was seventy-five years old. He came to me and said, "Doctor, look at this lump under my armpit." I looked at it and did a study what happened. Oh, by the way, you know, 19, he came to me in 1980. 1974, Dr. Smith, you know, opened my chest, found I had lung cancer and said, you know, just enjoy your last summer. That's it. We can't do anything. Closed it. Every summer I'm enjoying as a last summer. This was his sixth summer when he came to me. All I want to say is, you know, it is, it's not that easy. Cancer is not an easy subject. Wow. We don't know who is going to do well, who is not. We go by statistics number. But today with the genomic era and as I said, immunotherapy, checkpoint inhibitors, I think we have made significant progress. The type of response I see today was something I couldn't imagine three decades ago, two decades ago. So right. it's, it's phenomenal. Um, again, tying this back into the book, because I'm really curious about holistic medicine, alternative uh, treatments and all this stuff. But I don't necessarily, because of my personal experience with it, I don't necessarily uh, think it's always a good thing to kind of, uh, and I'm, I walk a wire here by saying, if it helps people survive and it's a good thing for them, a positive thing for them, then who am I to kind of poo-poo it? But I worked for a cult for a period of time, a cult that was taught hands-on healing, hand-over-healing, where they just kind of chant. And, they, and I saw several people in demonstrations who were told they were cured, healed, of one of testicle cancer. They had him on the table. They did this demonstration. Did a, and he got up from the table and said, I felt great. I felt, you cured. <laughs> and then three months later, he was dead. And so I, I think sometimes that while some people can benefit from this because their mindset changes and, it, and, and, and they get a health benefit from it and see, can see cancer actually go in remission sometimes, which can be miraculous. And you say, wow, is this stuff real? But then I've seen people who believe in it and, and just drop dead and it didn't do, it had no effect for them. So I'm confused as to whether we even recommend it or you, you try to tell people, because 
the last thing you want to do is give them a negative idea about what, so then it doesn't have any chance of working. <laughs> where, where do you fall on that? All of that kind of... Um... No, I think some of these things you described are a support system or a supplement. They are not actual treatment. But, you know, there is some theory behind the fact can stress cause cancer, can stress cause something. Because one of the areas where cancer field is still not gone into the depth is the role of body hormones, endocrine, what we call this. That endocrine system definitely plays a role in either in accelerating cancer or even maybe controlling it. So when you talk about mental relaxation, like yoga, for example, we have all written, even MD Anderson and us, we did a study on that, uh, where yoga, people who undergo yoga with treatment, take the treatment better and possibly they do better for long term, even survival. So these are all the factors which are ancillary factors, which are support. But if somebody says, I will do only yoga and take care of cancer, no, I don't think it's possible. Right. Okay, so like that re healing, relaxation, all are good, but they're only to help you to understand the disease and possibly have less side effects and maybe better outcome because of that. Right. What do you make of the rare cases? But there are cases that are reported of spontaneous remission and, and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, how, how do you account for that? No, there is. Like this gentleman I told you for six years. So there is this concept of for melanoma, for example, skin cancer, for kidney cancer. There is this thing called spontaneous uh, re, you know, resolution. Almost 20% of the time, I have seen patients where they had disease, melanoma disease, which spread into the lymph nodes, liver. Suddenly you find the whole disease is gone with no treatment, spontaneous response. But there are rare and it happens only in you know certain small percentage of cases. But definitely it is reported because the body immune system at some point takes over. Like what we are doing today, immunotherapy, the body itself takes over so-called T-cells and kiss them. For example, the theory behind cancer is you have all these T cells, which are fighter cells. They've exhausted, like in a war. You don't have any energy to fight. Something pumps them up, you know, where they get up and fight and kill the cancer cells. So that is the theory of spontaneous. It's an immunological response suddenly right. happens. So definitely melanoma, kidney cancer, but these are all for historically, we know they are immunologically related cancers, but not other cancers. Rarely we see for other cancers, but they can remain dormant. One of the things possible is the cancer can remain dormant and suddenly one day starts multiplying. That is another theory. Why it does remain dormant? Yeah, uh, and along those lines, and again, kind of tying this back into the book because I'm I, now I have not read the book yet. I have, again, oh, you have yeah, to read. Okay. I know, I, I know, I do. I have a long. I interview authors every day, twice a day on this program, so I, I'm, I have a stack of books that you wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> I got, I'm behind on, but uh, tying it back into the book. Now I'm making grand assumptions about this book that most of what you're talking about in the book has to do with this uh, mindset. It has to do with uh, the uh, success, successful attitude, the attitude of success and excellence. Uh, and along those lines, in, with uh, tying back into the cancer stuff, I've seen a lot of people, and my father is one who I definitely know this to be true. He had decided, well, how do I phrase it? He had decided that his life purpose was done. Okay, he uh, he had no more to do with his life. He raised his family, uh, and, and everybody was out, and he was done with his life. And that was the time that he got cancer, and that that's when it's in. I see that happening a lot where people, and I'm wondering if people can manifest it as a mindset thing, like just a belief that I've, I'm out of purpose w with my life, I'm done doing what I was sent here to do, whatever whatever belief system they have about that. And that's when the body can start to turn on itself and, and, and create cancer. And so do you see that kind of linkage in um, people? 
in you know, one of the you know i don't know whether it can cause cancer but one thing i've noticed in my patients over the last 45 years particularly you know even in us when i saw patients i could make out by the body language and the support of the family see there are two things one is a patient's approach to the disease they're very positive i'm going to win the war they would win but second is the family support i saw sometimes when the families were not that supportive particularly spouse the patient would give up and they would die very fast because they felt like they are not wanted imagine a husband and wife the husband is doing good or a wife is having the disease but the husband is sending the you know body language that look you are a burden to me and i have to take care of you day in and out what is this i know so naturally she doesn't want to live they would give up okay so this is something uh, definitely mind control mind uh, how you approach but on the other hand if the spouse is very supportive they go all out of the way and they kind of take go out for dinner whatever it is i remember uh, a patient in um, boarding iowa illinois the husband was so good she lived for a long time even though she had lot of disease they would go out and go to horse races go out for dinner every day so i think the, that makes a difference possibly for the same reason what you said may also be true you know like <clears throat> we notice lot of people who retire in life Right. They die faster compared uh, to those who don't retire. Right. I have always maintained, and my my friends will argue with me over this, but I think there's some scientific evidence to prove this. People who retire are basically done living, and and basically the 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 people who just retire and do nothing, have nothing left to do with their life, end up dying a lot quicker than. People. No, I I, I have a light-hearted remark on that when people tell me. Hey, Jay, you know you are seventy. When are you going to retire? I say, don't worry. There's a permanent retirement coming soon, so I should work more now. <laughs> right, there'll be plenty of time for laying around doing nothing when I'm dead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I get it. I'm with you on that. Uh, so, but you did not write the book for doctors and cancer patients, right? This is for anybody who. Uh, is, yeah. Now, what, and I'm going to show the book again. The question I have for you is being an oncologist, and people assume, and I'm, I'm sure quite rightly, that you're extremely busy. Where do you find the time for entrepreneurship, uh, running marathons, and all those other things that you're involved in? Uh, is, is it a matter of you only sleep one, an hour a day? <laughs> no, I mean, I, no, I sleep, but I think it is time management. i think once you know how to manage time you can achieve i always feel the busy people are the ones uh, somebody says busy actually they are not busy i don't believe in the word busy okay uh, you always have time possibly even you know when you do lot of things you're pro- possibly using only 30 40% of your capacity so there is always uh, things you can do more than what you're doing now but it is a word we use you know when somebody says i'm busy this maybe they don't want to do it that's why they say busy oh, if yeah. you really want to do it you'll never say you're busy okay yeah, i don't recall when is the last time i said i'm busy honestly yeah. i don't recall <laughs> yeah so i uh, i find uh, uh when i get involved in uh busy work it's usually to avoid the work that i'm um procrastinating doing the the task i really don't want to do so i'm going to do this little task over here I'll do this little task and i looking for things to ways to avoid that big correct, correct. Uh, t- yeah that that's my situation um let me just ask you this because we only have a couple of minutes here uh, by the way the book the link to the book first of all the link to uh dr akaiju ajay kumar i'm sorry about the pronunciation yeah, yeah. the yeah, link to your website the we- the website is hgonconlogy.com uh, it's in it link is in the description also the link to buy the book on amazon is in the description the book is called excellence has no borders um the uh, what's going on with uh, in india with covid and how that uh, affects cancer patients uh, it did affect uh, in the in the first wave which was uh, in 2020 uh, april may june july uh, we had uh, significant um, 
drop in footfall drop and i think we saw about 20% more patients in advanced cases coming they didn't come on time but during the second wave uh, this march april uh, you know we were able to manage very well and today i'm happy to say we are almost back to normal wow uh, and also the number of covid cases in india have come down uh, the crisis for us was in the second wave we had a major crisis across india where you know beds were full uh, patients were could not uh, find beds in all all over because every day we were reporting significant number of cases uh, we went up to almost uh, 400000 cases a day today we are down to 11000 cases wow so the things have improved dramatically and uh, the vaccination almost uh, you know 60% of the vast country 60% are vaccinated now one time so it's a good beginning hopefully you know we will not see a third wave uh, to put that in perspective for people uh, 11000 cases uh in a country that probably has about 100 trillion people <laughs> 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 i don't know the actual population obviously 1.2 billion wow <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing uh, and put that in perspective i think the population of the united states is around 320 million right now so yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> one quarter of that <laughs> amazing amazing uh so but what about um the idea of covid now as it uh, applies to cancer patients so cancer patients getting uh vaccinated and should they or does it does one have not have anything to do with it no all the cancer patients should get it they should also get a booster very clear because they are more vulnerable they are immunosuppressed if they are on treatment so the chance of them covid getting and also covid becoming more severe with them is is there so they should definitely undergo both vaccination and i would say after 6 months a booster dose is mandatory they should take okay? regardless of where the cancer is yeah regardless of where the cancer is wow uh just anecdotally i had a friend um who was a uh bass player in my band he got brain cancer and i i was astonished by this he went he was diagnosed with brain cancer went into the hospital i think on a friday i believe by the following tuesday he was home and i thought wow they did brain surgery that quickly uh then he he pronounced himself cured and he found god in a lot of way i mean he he was calling everybody saying how much clearer he was thinking the world is a much better place everything tastes better everything looks better everything yeah. so uh and just found got this epiphany uh, and started writing his memoirs and all this stuff and got a lot more energy and was doing a lot of stuff but it came back pretty quickly uh that brain stuff uh is different than any other cancer right the the way uh because there it, are different types of brain cancer but uh, what we call as astrocytoma a uh, grade 4 is the worst cancer it's called glioblastoma very it's bad and uh, we are even today we have not found a long term control but genomics and are helping a lot now with that i believe in future we will have better control uh, because the recurrence is very high whatever treatment we give uh, the recurrence rate is very high in that right i'm um, i'm interested in this idea that cancer can uh, or especially in the brain area because the brain is really who we are it can affect <laughs> our belief of uh, of how we uh, you know our feeling and he thought Forty was superman i mean basically oh. uh and and so sometimes the cancer in the brain and, and we've seen i've seen stories of red red anecdotal stories about this where people became far more productive after having that kind of stuff and it gave them more energy and they were a different person even yeah. more, while they had the cancer so that's a really tricky thing because it, Uh, if you got you one know, cancer sometimes you also have to look at uh, they we put them on steroids for a long time right. so that could be also what gives them the kicker right yeah i was just thinking you know because sometimes in other areas where you get cancer in the lungs obviously you're not living your good life you feel like you can't breathe whatever there's no reason to go to the doctor but if with a brain cancer you're feeling great it's triggering some kind of uh chemical reaction in your brain yeah. where it's just giving you this all all, all time high you're not going to go to the doctor and not get treated not get discovered and all that kind of stuff right so correct uh, uh, the uh, the last final thing i I'll, I'll, i'll talk about and is um 
how often should people i mean i don't want to make people neurotic and think well i need to get always be looking for cancer every day of my life i gotta be checking myself how often does this do the average person need to kind of get checked and and what See, are the most important it, things it check? depends on the age until 40 years normally we don't require anything uh, at around 40 if uh, of course if they have a family history they may have to get it done even at 35 women for mammogram and check for breast cancer but 40 and above is the best time to check for you know yearly mammogram and pap smears for men you know prostate cancer specific you know blood test and a few others can be done at the age of 40, 45. But you don't have to really, you know, really be worried about it. Once a year uh, is good enough. And uh, I think uh, if you have any symptoms, sometimes we do endoscopy, colonoscopy. Now we have all virtual colonoscopies and all. So it is all the diagnostics tests are good, blood tests are good. But uh, as you age, you know, if you know, obviously you may want to do it every six months or eight months, some blood tests. But no need to do extensive procedures. We don't recommend. All right, cool. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your time. I hope people will check out the book. Once again, the book is called Excellence Has No Borders. I'm sorry, folks. I can't read the tagline on there. Do you know what the the tagline says? It says, how a doctorpreneur created a world-class cancer hospital chain. Well, good eyes. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I, I urge people to check out the book. It's on my list. It, it, it will be read. Uh, Dr. Ajit Kumar, I really appreciate your time. I know you're thank a busy you. man, but uh, thank you for this information. I hope we, uh, hope we uh, made a difference in people's understanding of the disease and uh, appreciate your time and wish you well. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye for now. Be well. Dr. B.S. Ajukumar, folks, I hope you got something out of that program. I know I, I feel like I learned something today, and that's all we hope for every day. I mean, I'm looking to spread some knowledge, gain some knowledge, uh, and that's that's our whole uh, uh, outlook here. Now, uh, again, I can't stress my takeaway from this is uh, maintaining and managing that mindset, uh, you know, because optimism obviously works optimism works but there are people like me who are uh pretty pre-inclined i guess i don't know if that's a uh, or even a word uh but inclined to let negative things kill their optimism pretty quickly which is why i'm an eternal pessimist uh and so it's a it's a tricky thing and i'm not sure how we get a hold of managing our optimism or or get any kind of if you're not so inclined to be an optimist how you maintain that love to hear your thoughts about it write to me at info at minddogtv.com info at minddogtv.com don't have a show tonight uh we're we're off tonight because uh, of some scheduling mix-ups but that's okay be with you tomorrow night at 8 p.m no 1 p.m tomorrow craig mitchell will be with me and we're going to talk about uh his uh, cooking show off the cuff uh, getting picked up by some cooking channel. Anyway, that's the show for today. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day, and bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.